0: Welcome to the Artipop podcast. As the founder of Ardipop, I've always felt we live in a highly conventional era when it comes to motherhood, but also that change is near. Therefore, I created this podcast to give voice to different refreshing perspectives around motherhood and life in general to empower you and all the women around you to trust their intuition. I've asked a journalist whose work I love, Kaira van Wijk, to host this series for you. Let's use our feminine energy to shape the future. I hope you're with me. Please enjoy. Thanks for being here. This is your host, Kaira. Today we're talking to Ella Mills, the founder of Deliciously Ella in London, which is all about celebrating plant-based living with cookbooks, an app, snacks, cereals, and a deli. She founded her company nine years ago, after recovering from severe illness, also due to poor diet. While recording this interview, she was still pregnant with her second. Now she's welcomed another beautiful baby girl into the world. In this episode, Alice speaks about juggling motherhood and career, and the beauty of flexibility. She shares her views on the current state of the global food system, including food waste, making plant-based eating easy and enjoyable, the link between food and mental health, and giving in to her own peculiar pregnancy cravings. Well, let's dig in. So how are you this morning? I am very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Everything's going well over here in Amsterdam. Yeah. Oh, brilliant.
1: I'm so pleased.
0: So what's it like over there in London? Also, the the last couple of months, living through a pandemic, of course, with your business and the baby.
1: Yeah, it's been busy. (laughs) Yeah, It's a lot. Yeah. It's been busy, yeah. and um, But there have been loads of really good things as well, to be totally honest. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I think, the first like month or six weeks was pretty intense and stressful and upside down just trying to kind of navigate the business in all the changes that were happening on a like minute by minute basis but I feel like once we got through that and found a kind of new rhythm Mm -hmm. actually there have been so many nice things and working at home has been amazing a to get time with my daughter that I never would have had otherwise and b also I'm pregnant and working at home is so nice when you're pregnant.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. It's it like a little bubble that you're in then probably? Exactly. And it's just like
1: is it actually comfortable? You know, I last year, so my pregnancies are very close together. Mm-hmm. And last year I just, you know, was commuting and it was like 30 degrees and I was kind of like waddling up and down Oxford street into Soho in central London. And then you're sitting in an office chair all day and, you know, you're busy and stressed. And so just being able to work from home and have a slightly slower rhythm. And I could go, I took my daughter and our dog for like an hour's walk every day before I start work. And I've been able to do a bit of yoga. And like anytime I'm uncomfy, I can just get up and move around and sit on the sofa or sit on
0: the bed and, God, it makes such a big difference. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Has that also made you think about maybe we should just change the work environment in general, you know? Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting one. And I think
1: as a mum and, and with pregnancy as well, it's a really... It's been a really interesting time to kind of understand like new ways of doing things. I mean, I definitely miss parts of the office and you know, I think there's like a buzz and excitement and momentum and magic of when you're with other people and you're with your colleagues and mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot in that um that I I definitely felt we were missing. But then at the same time there is you know your kids change so quickly it's unbelievable I mean Sky, our daughter turned one a month ago yeah and the amount she's changed every single day over the last six months is just extraordinary mm-hmm. and I feel like I've really been able to be a part of that and I've really been able to see that and and, and be with her in that and I just I never ever ever would have had that experience if I was working kind of normal office hours and you know, I went back to work really early after she was born, um, running her own business. I mean, it's certainly what, what I felt I had to do. And, and you know, in retrospect, it's, it's quite sad in a way, because actually that time is so precious and they change so quickly. And so I think there is a lot in in working from home and in trying to be more flexible and um, and And in pregnancy as well, i mean it's it's unbelievable how different I feel at this point mm-hmm. thirty five weeks now and i I don't really have any kind of aches and pains I'm not really uncomfortable. I haven't had that kind of swelling and the cankles that I had really badly last time and wow yeah and'm I'm, I'm sure it's you know your body's talking in a way I mean, I think so a hundred percent, but it's it's such a hard thing to kind of admit in a way because I think you know as women juggling the expectations on ourselves and of other people of of a career and of motherhood is is such a complex topic that I think we all struggle with to differing extents. And so Mm -hmm. it's quite hard to kind of admit, actually, it's much better when I take a step out Um, because it's not necessarily what you want from from your career so it's uh it's definitely an interesting balance to navigate
0: yeah it's definitely yeah, it's definitely interesting what do you think like how could we change that for the better you feel like to make it a bit more not just to change yourself but also maybe if just the environment would change you know like maybe businesses would change or yeah so that so that would be better for you know mother and child parent and child, basically? Yeah,
1: it's a great question. I mean, I don't think there's a one size fits all because I think every parent, every child, every business is so different. But I think it's just, I think what the last few months have taught us is that there, there is beauty and flexibility and actually you can get a lot done at home. And, you know, it's so much more about like what you do rather than where you do it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's been a really positive takeaway for, for so many Parents, but but for men as well and fathers as well as mothers. I mean, I know my husband, you know, he what, he's the CEO of our company and he works crazy hours and he's mm-hmm. always got stuff going on. And, I mean, he's had so much time with our daughter over the last few months and it's really been an incredible thing for them both and they're so bonded and it's been kind of magic to be a part of that. And I I I know, like, my brother, he had a little baby just before – the pandemic as well. And and I think he's just so appreciated this time with his son that he never would have had otherwise. And so I think there's a lot for us, us all to learn there in terms of just possibly a bit more flexibility um, and focus on what you do rather than where and exactly when you do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also different for your, it's a different experience for your daughter as well. I can imagine to have her parents there, to see her, her parents working I can imagine that's also different for her development in those early stages.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it is, and I'm sure, I'm sure she's got a lot from that. Just knowing that we're a kind of very continuous presence. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I was also wondering, talking about the pandemic and society as a whole, more specifically the global food system, because that's the field you're in um how has the lockdown changed your view on the global food system that we're in today yeah I mean it's an interesting question I think more than anything
1: it's just about kind of I think I think it's just given us all a greater appreciation of of things you know close to home and even just you know at the beginning when people weren't shopping as much of just like buying things that you love and really appreciating them and cooking more and having time to cook more and savoring our food and just being more connected to our food which I I think is one of the one of the biggest problems both for in terms of you know food waste for example and you know food waste was a country it'd be the third biggest emitter of greenhouse gases in the world after America and China I mean food waste is such a huge problem even in the UK alone households throw away over 20 million slices of bread every single day so I mean just as a it is insane. And I think it's one of those things, you know, when when you can't go out all the time and you're buying things and you're wanting them to last and you're planning, and then you maybe have a bit more time because you're not commuting to actually cook and maybe look at a recipe and then sit down together as a family um, or with your partner or with your flatmates and actually eat together. I think there's been this um, greater appreciation of, of what we have and what we can do with what we have and simplicity and I think that's such a brilliant thing because I think we can be very, very disconnected from the way we eat, uh, just generally appreciating what we have and and how delicious things can be. And I think that that's a really, 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 really amazing thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's also because food is about connection. It's about emotion and about community, of course, to bring that back, really. Um, I think it's a great tool, I think, also to to be in touch with ourselves and with others more in a way. Oh my gosh, completely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. When it comes to food waste, because I think that's such an interesting topic, um, where do you even start tackling a problem like that? Because it's so huge, but you did a podcast on it, which I thought was really interesting. What was your biggest takeaway from it? I think that actually with so many things,
1: you know, the world can feel incredibly overwhelming and I, I appreciate that 100%, but with so many things like... We actually have a lot of power as an individual and a lot that we can do and achieve as an individual. Mm -hmm. And I think we forget that sometimes. And, you know, so much food waste, for example, happens just in the home. And as I said, like in the UK alone, it's over 20 million slices of bread that households throw away every single day. I mean, that's an astonishing amount of food and an astonishing amount of money and time and resources and energy um, that just ends up in the bin. And I think it's again, it's just it's it's all kind of full circle. I think there's something in just kind of, you know, whenever we can, just slowing down a little bit and just being a little bit more mindful of the way that we're living, of just being slightly more conscious in the way that we consume, buying things that we truly want, that we truly care about, that we truly appreciate, and then acting accordingly with them. And, you know, I think that that obviously extends way beyond food into what we buy to wear mm-hmm. what we buy for our children, you know, it's about buying what you need, not too much, investing in it and appreciating it. And I think I think that's something that we're not brilliant at in the world today because there's a sense of more, 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 and there's a sense of abundance and of needing the next thing
0: and and how can we shift away from that? But do you feel like that's shifting? Do you feel like the consumer really is longing for something different other than this system of constantly consuming you know
1: yeah I mean I I think I hope I hope that's the direction of travel I mean I'm I don't know if it is as if that's where we're at yet but I think I, I think that more people are becoming more conscious of it and that's an amazing place to start and I mean and and it's it's like what you guys make it's it's so beautiful and it's an investment and it's something that you can treasure and keep and appreciate and use time and time and time and time and time again and and you know pass on to friends or siblings and and I think there's something amazing about that and about shifting from lots and lots and lots to investing and appreciating.
0: And how do you actually do that with Deliciously Ella? For example, uh, when you talk about it as a business with food waste, for, for instance, how do you try to contribute to positive change um, in your business as well? Of course, you share all these recipes that can really help people, but maybe also, yeah, from a business point of view.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're so keen to get people more connected with with their food and inspire people to get cooking. You know, I think there's this, we've moved so far away from kind of an, it being normal to cook every day and, you know, people finding it intimidating or complicated or unappealing or just one more chore. And, you know, I'm very keen to kind of, again, shift that mindset and make it something that we enjoy doing, but that's also easy to do. And that's something we can then share with our friends, with our family, with our partners and have it, have it be a highlight of the day rather than just one more piece of work. And so, but a big focus in that for me is about keeping it quick. It's about keeping it easy. It's about small ingredients lists that can create something delicious in 15 minutes. Because I think that's, for me, very realistic for, for people's lives today. And I think that's that's really important. I mean, our big passion is trying to get people not to become vegans or vegetarians, but just to include a lot more plant-based food in their life and to appreciate that more I mean I know again like in the UK only one in four adults one in five children managed to get their five portions of fruits and vegetables every single day which is tiny and so far away from what we need for our health and I'm very very passionate about just trying to change that in any way that I can by making it more appealing by making it easier by making it more exciting
0: yeah
1: um and and that that's really what we focus on and and then doing you know doing all the small bits that we can and you know trying to move people away from ultra processed foods by providing alternatives that are natural, you know, we never use any artificial flavors or colours, preservatives, stabilizers emulsifiers. It's something that that really is the kind of centerpiece of of our brand and who we are as a company. And I think it's just about giving people options and giving people alternatives and, and gently trying to kind of explain why for people that are interested, which is why we do our podcast to explore all kinds of topics. As you said, there's the one on food waste, but then also on gut health and, mental health and you know exercise and just to understand how all these pieces of the puzzle fit together to create a kind of 360 approach to health which which for me is really important obviously food is a huge part of what we do and it's a cornerstone of all of our lives really but at the same time it, you know I think when we think about our health we can get very focused on broccoli and it definitely extends you know beyond our vegetables.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. Are there actually certain foods that you feel a lot of people think are very healthy, but actually they're not? Maybe even people are pretty educated when it comes to health that you're like, no, it's actually kind of harmful for your health, really, or the environment.
1: I mean, I'm a big believer in looking at our health and, and what we eat and the foods we eat on a kind of, I guess, a broader spectrum in the sense that I think, I think looking at it as individuals can make it feel overwhelming and make it feel too much like a diet. Whereas healthy living should be something that is not a diet. It's never about deprivation. It's about abundance. It's about joy and it's about balance as well. You know, you, mm-hmm. there's gotta be a, in order to do it every day, you know, for decades to come, it needs to feel genuinely enjoyable and exciting and something that you look forward to doing continuously.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and I think that's absolutely key. Um, But I think, I think it's, it's just one of those things where actually it's just about having like a sensible approach and about, you know, trying to incorporate more foods that you love. I mean, one of the things that I think people get most wrong is when they think, okay, I'm going to make a switch. I need to be healthier. It's so all or nothing. Mm -hmm. And they immediately say, right, as of tomorrow, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And it feels suddenly so restrictive And so extreme that it just doesn't last, which I think is a big problem. And also, then you kind of strip it so far back that it's also not enjoyable. And I'm a massive believer that something being enjoyable is the only way to make it last. Mm -hmm. And I think, therefore, people strip it back and they like put together, you know, a plain lettuce salad with grated carrot and tomato and cucumber. And it's like, it's got no flavor it's massively lacking in anything filling. It's not abundant. It's, you know, it's just not, it's not giving you what you need in that sense. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it's about, you know, making delicious, delicious, delicious meals. You know, you could do like a sesame peanut butter noodle salad and you could do noodles and you could do some courgette noodles and some carrot noodles, sliced red pepper, spring onions, you know, put that all together with some sesame seeds, maybe some crushed peanuts. Mix together miso, sesame oil, Mm
0: -hmm. um,
1: peanut butter, lime juice, maybe a splash of maple and, you know, make a really creamy, delicious, very flavoursome dressing and mix it all together. It'll take 10 minutes actually as long as it takes to cook the noodles. And you've got loads of veggies in there, but you've got loads of flavor most importantly. And it's like shifting from a kind of soggy bland salad to that. Mm -hmm. You're still getting the veggies, you're still getting great stuff, but it's filling and it's delicious, it's colorful, and you'll want it again. Yes. You know, and I for me that that's absolutely key. It's not about stripping everything so far back that it just feels like rabbit food because that will last three days. Yeah. And then you'll want like burger and pizza and chips and you'll crave all these things and it's not that you shouldn't have those things it's just you want to have a nice balance and it's really hard to create I think like a a day in day out balance Mm -hmm. if you're restricting yourself which is I think what
0: people do too often when they start to think about healthy living so true and I feel like beautiful nutritious foods beautiful flavors it also feeds your soul in a way, you know, so it works in different ways as well, I think. So that's so important that you actually enjoy what you're eating. Oh my gosh, 100%. It's definitely,
1: there's there's a physical satisfaction from the way you eat, but there's such a mental satisfaction from it as well. Mm. And I think that's absolutely key. And again, I think that's the fundamental difference between healthy living where you're taking care of your body and you're nourishing yourself and it's done in a loving, kind, compassionate way to yourself and to your body versus like dieting, which is a kind of negative, mm-hmm. not normally compassionate, not normally kind, not normally coming from a place of positivity and self-love. And I think that's it's such a distinct difference.
0: Yeah, so true. Have you actually always enjoyed cooking yourself? No, <laughs> not at all, which is
1: ironic. And I didn't use the like healthy food at all either that um i became very interested in this space uh almost nine years ago Mm -hmm. i was very ill with a condition that um impaired my autonomic nervous system and i spent about four months in and out in hospital and then i was put on steroids and beta blockers and all kinds of medications to try and manage some of the symptoms i couldn't control my heart rate blood pressure digestion circulation i had chronic fatigue i had chronic infections i spent two and a half years continuously on antibiotics, including having to go to hospital for periods of time on antibiotic drips, you know, I literally couldn't get out of bed. Uh, It was really terrifying. And I, the medication didn't really work for me. And that's when I became interested in, you know, whether there was a, another approach and a way of looking at, um, at the way that we live and, and the way that we eat as a way of supporting my body. But at that point, I wasn't interested in this space whatsoever I saw it very much as like rabbit food and bland and boring and why would I want to do that Mm -hmm. and that's I guess what what kind of fueled my passion because I realized it didn't have to be like that and I wanted to share that with other people that probably had very similar preconceptions around it
0: but it must be difficult I think when you're that sick to pick yourself up and be I'm going to really change my lifestyle my food were you really determined to just change it up and to see if you could heal by adding different other foods, by changing the way you eat?
1: Yeah, by no means was it easy. Like I, I think that's such an important thing to say, but it took me quite a long time to get to the point where I was able to do that. I spent about a year with really bad depression and kind of really in denial about where I was. And it was only in kind of hitting my own rock bottom that I realized, you know what? nothing's changing if I continue in this way like that's it there's nothing interesting going on in my life for the foreseeable future and only I can really take control of the situation at this point and I need to do that and that was actually an incredibly empowering moment, but then it also, yeah, it's like on a practical level, it was learning to cook and learning about all these new things and new ways of living and new ways of doing things that was just so new to me.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what really worked for you back back then was it really adding in more vegetables? Uh, was it going vegan in the beginning? Like, what really worked for you personally or physically really well? Yeah, it's such a great question, and I definitely think
1: it's hard to say. I don't think that there was any one in particular thing. I think it was everything altogether, and it was definitely slow. It took me like, I would say best part of three years to feel like I was kind of normal effectively um, after changing the way I lived. So, I mean, it really was like a slow process and we'd go up and down and up and down and all around. It wasn't linear either, but I think it was, I completely changed my diet and I don't think it was specifically about becoming vegan. I think that's a very personal choice, but it was, I think it was about the, my meals being focused on fresh whole foods, you know, loads of fruits and vegetables, Mm -hmm. beans, pulses, you know, ingredients that were so vitamin and nutrient rich and that, you know, did so much for the body. And then, at the same time, learning about meditation, learning about yoga, learning about also just like compassion for yourself and just a new way of thinking about the world and a kind of much more mindful way of living. And then I started working with a nutritionist who really, really helped me with my gut health, and especially after so long on antibiotics, that made a humongous difference and really, 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 really helped. And so I think it was everything all altogether that really kind of made all the difference.
0: And do you think food and mental health are connected? Because I feel like there are more and more studies coming out linking depression to poor food habits, for instance. I've actually experienced myself as well. And I was wondering what your thoughts on that topic are.
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating topic. And again, I feel like with physical health, it's it's all so personal. And I don't think there'll ever be a kind of one size fits all. But at the same time, I've definitely found it a fascinating topic to learn more about, and I think it's just, I guess, being more aware of things. And and one of the things you know that I've found very interesting and, and definitely helped me a lot was understanding more about our gut health, for example. You know, and and I think people always say to you, "Oh, eat your five portions of fruits and veg a day," and you think, "Well, yeah, but why?" And then you start to understand why, and it's you know that your gut microbiome they feed on fiber, and you need that much fiber every single day in order to to give your gut what it needs and your gut is directly linked to your brain via the gut brain axis and you know the majority of your serotonin which is you know the hormone that has a big impact on your happiness is made in your gut and so you just start to understand how basically every part of your body is interconnected and actually the more i started to understand about biology and nutrition nutritional therapy as well is that you know you're your body, the cells in your body are made up of what you eat. Mm -hmm. And so it all starts to make sense when you put it all together, that actually all these things, everything is interconnected to to various extents. And so you kind of got to look after yourself as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But you know, again, that's that's so much easier said than done, you know, when you're in a difficult place. And I relate to this 100%. You know, if anyone had told me, you know, when I was very, very ill, that like, um, you know, oh, just change your diet, you'll be fine. You know, that would have been mm-hmm. so frustrating. And yeah, you know, I, I I really do appreciate that. And as I said, it's also very nuanced and it's very different for everyone. And you know, it's it's certainly incredibly complex, I, I think. But it's just, I think it's just it's interesting just to start to understand the connection between all the various parts of your body. Yeah,
0: totally, totally. But it's really interesting, I think, because I I think a lot of people deal with this depression, for instance, it's like, um, they seek out foods to kind of make themselves feel better. And then it turns into this vicious cycle. Completely. And again, I think that's,
1: it's, it's what we said earlier, it's about coming at these things and from a place of kind of compassion and self love and self care. And, you know, that's, a really complicated topic and a hard place to get to with our relationship with ourselves. And I think, you know, the world we live in today, it's particularly hard. And I think for a lot of women transitioning to motherhood makes that really challenging as well. It's a massive shift in your identity and who you are and how you see yourself and how the world sees you. And, you know, I I know for me, like, you know, spend most of my days covered in like porridge and raspberries Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: all the rest of it. And, you know, it's, you know, it's a a big, it's a big thing. And I think, again, you know, to create a positive relationship with the way you eat, you need a positive relationship with the way you feel about yourself. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think it's so important to acknowledge that and address that first. Yes. You probably get this question from moms a lot. And I can imagine it's kind of a tricky question because it's so personal, really. Um, but what would you recommend someone eating while pregnant or maybe what to add, you know, what, what would be really beneficial foods while you're pregnant? Do you know
1: what? I think it's, it's a topic that is so individual and it's actually one of the things that I found really, especially my first pregnancy, because I felt so ill in my first pregnancy for like most of it really mm. so sick and had so many food aversions. I mean, I'm someone that vegetables are like the center of their their life and their cooking and and my career. And then the first like 16, 18 weeks, I literally could not even have a vegetable in my fridge. The sight of broccoli made me gag. Wow. And all I could eat was just like potatoes every which way. Chips, crisps, roast potatoes, mashed potatoes and nothing with them. Yeah. Um and bread basically plain 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 carbohydrates and that was it and I remember one night being like oh my gosh I have not eaten anything green in weeks I feel guilty about this Mm -hmm. you know which I think is very common with mums and then I tried to make like just a simple kind of green soup with like peas and potatoes and broccoli and things and I literally just the whole thing was not gonna happen I took one smell and started gagging took one bite and that was that and (laughs) But I remember I'd bought this book on, you know, pregnancy and nutrition. And it was saying, oh, my gosh, for baby's development, you need to have this and you need to have that and you need to have the next thing. And it made me have so much guilt before I'd even started my journey almost to motherhood. And yeah. I just couldn't eat it. And it's just as simple as that. And so I think it's, you know, again, it feels like a time where you have to be more compassionate and understanding of yourself than ever and also bring in kind of an intuitive approach to the way that you eat and understanding of that. I think that's so key. But then I think for me at least, because I don't always feel up to eating healthier things and I don't always feel up to cooking as much either. You can be obviously can be so much more exhausted. I think it's just about being like sneaky. And so it's things like I'll try and make a smoothie every day, love fruit smoothies at the moment, baby seems to crave them and so I'll do like frozen banana and frozen blueberries, frozen raspberries, maybe a bit of frozen mango but in, into that I can also put um, spinach and then I'll put some nut butter and I can put chia seeds and I can put hemp seeds and I can put all those sorts of ingredients in that are full of amazing nutrients and, and vitamins and minerals and but they don't really taste of anything and I'm basically just having like a banana berry smoothie and it takes two seconds to do but I've given... And then it's kind of like, well, whatever happens in the rest of the day happens. But I've had like several portions of fruits and veg. I've had great plant protein, omegas, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that that's a massive help is just trying to like find a few easy little things like that, that you can do every day in a couple of minutes that you know is just giving you like a good foundation.
0: And and during that first pregnancy, did it actually work for you to just give into your cravings and try to not feel guilty about it, but just... Yeah, be intuitive about it. Completely, I felt that was
1: like essential, mm-hmm. and that there was really no other approach that was going to work. Um, because you know, there's a yeah, you know, that's what your body wants, and ultimately denying it, I don't think helps anything. At least I, I didn't feel that it did. Mm-hmm. I felt like I remember there was one night where all I wanted was roast potatoes. Like I just was obsessed with the idea of roast potatoes. I don't know why. And I didn't have any potatoes in the house. And so I was like, come on, this is ridiculous. Like just make some pasta. Surely that will help. Made the pasta. Couldn't have hit the spot less if it tried. And it ended up like going out to the supermarket, buying the potatoes, making the roast potatoes. Uh, yeah, Cause yeah. I was like, I just need them. And I think it's just, obviously it sounds so ridiculous, but I'm sure a lot of women can relate to those ridiculous pregnancy cravings where you just feel like you have to have something. Mm. And I do think there's, it's just a good example of the fact that like actually denying something or depriving yourself of something, it just doesn't, it 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 means you don't get that mental satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's key. I mean, I think as we talked about earlier, it's really important to also kind of have an emotional understanding of the way you eat, because obviously eating can be quite an emotive topic and, and be tuned into that. And, and again, be coming at it from like a really positive place. But if you really want something, you really want something, and you know, I think wanting funny things or like not even funny things, but just really particular things when you're pregnant is so common, and that's okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Did your taste really change quite quickly after you gave birth, or how did it, how did that work? Yeah, I found mine changed really quickly after I gave
1: birth, and interesting. I um, yeah, immediately actually felt so much I mean I have to say it's it's quite an unusual probably an unusual answer but I actually found last time not as much this time but a little bit this time I found the last few weeks of pregnancy much harder on a physical level than like the first kind of you know the sort of fourth trimester that that initial bit after birth just I guess I'm quite an active person and I like doing things you know I'm a yoga teacher I loved I love moving and those last like few weeks, I just, I struggle with where you feel like you're quite achy. And like, if you sit in the wrong position, you know, you can get sore back and sore hips. And, you know, you're just quite, you know, you're not very easy to move around um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in comparison. And, you know, I don't know, my babies drop quite low, quite quickly. And I find that then becomes quite uncomfortable when you're walking around And so I, um, yeah, I definitely, whereas after birth, I mean, obviously the first like week or two is huge recovery, but I found after that, I quite quickly felt actually physically much more like myself Hmm. than I did in the kind of, especially in the second half, but really the whole of my pregnancies. Yeah.
0: Interesting. And did you feel like after you gave birth that you had to really like start eating clean or were you again, like, no, let's take this slow, take off this pressure and just ease into this new phase in your life. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think you have to be so gentle with yourself after you give birth. Like it's such a, I mean, I don't know what it will be like second time around, but first time around, I mean, it's just this the ultimate life transition and change. And there is just so much going on in your body, in your mind, you're exhausted, you know, you're trying to figure out looking after this tiny baby who needs you. And, you know, there's just, there's a lot going on. And, you know, you probably don't have a huge amount of time to cook and, and to do those sorts of things. And so I think, again, I I definitely focused on things like I did, like when I was pregnant, like making those sort of easy smoothies that really, you know, I could make when she was in the sling. They're so easy. You know, it takes you three minutes. And you can drink it, you know, while you're walking around with her, it's just kind of really easy. And then you know, you've given your body some good stuff. And, you know, I really appreciated that I ate a lot of toast, but then it was like trying to put avocado and hummus and nut butters and stuff on the toast that again would give me nutrition but very very quick very very easy but then yeah, you know, I ate buckets of chocolate like I literally had like a kilo tub of peanut butter by my bed and I would just eat like bar of bar after dark, of dark chocolate dunked in peanut butter I mean and that was my favorite thing in the whole wide world and I'd like sit in bed and watch friends episodes on repeat with Skye when she was sleeping on me eating like a kilo of peanut butter and it was amazing yeah and I think, you know, it's definitely a time to like be quieter, be more internal if you can. And, and I think being gentle on yourself is so important. Like there's, you've just like created a human that you've done the most incredible thing. And, you know, it's so easy to say and harder to do because it's kind of counterintuitive in many ways, the way that we live our lives. But I do think as much as you can, being slow and being gentle with yourself is so, so, so key. I think there is this kind of ridiculous idea of like bouncing back. And I don't think that's just a physical expectation, but an emotional expectation as well. And I mean... It's a lot, especially when you're a first-time mom and you're like, what on earth is going on? The baby's crying, why are they crying? How do I breastfeed? This, that, the next thing. It's, you know, it's a lot.
0: Actually, that's, that's interesting that you're saying that it's not just physically that you're being expected or I guess society expects you to bounce back, but also emotionally. Yeah, what were your experiences with that? I think it's just
1: you you know, we're so used to kind of doing things and being part of things. And so there's this idea that you can just like bring the baby. And it's actually like, I don't know, I found that really overwhelming. I remember trying to take her out to meet some friends and family. I don't know, she was say like three weeks old and she did like a massive poo in the middle of the park and then she was crying and then I was trying to change her on a park bench. And, you know, I was trying to like transport her around and I found that the first at the beginning, really overwhelming. I felt like I was just finding my feet as a mother, trying to get into breastfeeding, trying to kind of understand how to look after her. And I felt when I was at home and when I was just kind of in my little neighborhood, walking from my house, I was like, okay, if she starts crying, it can be home in a minute. I know how to handle this. I know what to do. And, but I found like being out and about quite overwhelming to begin with. And I, you know, and I think people, always want to come and visit which is so nice but you just can be so tired and you know you never know when might be a good moment for you to like get some time to sleep or to rest or to take a shower or to take a bath because you have no idea what your baby's going to be doing at any given time like you have to take each minute as it comes in those first couple of months I think and so I just think it's about giving yourself I definitely found it was about giving myself the space for that because when I had the space for that I loved it and I felt that motherhood was a really amazing experience and something I really enjoyed whereas when I was trying to kind of be a sort of semi-normal person and do a lot of things I found it quite overwhelming and quite stressful and exhausting and and not as enjoyable. Mm
0: -hmm. Did you feel like in a way you had to kind of reinvent your identity or the way you have always viewed yourself as well when you became a mother? Oh,
1: 100%. And I think it's definitely something me personally I'm still working on. I don't I don't think it's easy by any stretch of the imagination. I know like my career has defined it has defined so much of who I am over the last like 8 years or so. And you know that has you know, getting a startup off the ground and building it into, you know, proper company. And, you know, that is a like full-time job and the rest. And so that has been like the center of my life for so long. And suddenly like, yes, I was still working, but you know, I was working before Sky was born, you know, seven days a week you know, 365 days a year and it, it's not wasn't normal to do like a fifteen it was normal to do like a fifteen, sixteen hour day and literally to be always working and that to be the center of what you're doing and that's your big focus. And I didn't want to do that as a mum and and I didn't feel that was plausible either to do that as a mum. You know, she she can't have none of me and none of my time and that just didn't feel right. And actually adjusting to that was, was really hard in many ways, because you're shifting your whole identity and letting go of a way of being that has been such a huge part of your norm every single day. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, I don't think that's easy. It's incredible. And it's a blessing and it's a privilege to, to do that because you have a baby in your life. And the second she was born, I knew I wanted to shift my priorities and, and kind of hand over more of, more of our company to our team and, and to my husband and, and actually really take much bigger step back than I ever thought that I probably would, but it's still, yeah, it's, it's definitely not an easy transition. It's definitely something where I wonder to myself, Oh, should I be doing more of this? Should I be spending more time at work or should I be spending more time at Sky with Sky? And I, I think it's probably something where the you'll never get the balance right. I don't know if any mum ever will, because you'll always second guess yourself I think to some extent but it's um yeah I think there's a huge for so many mothers I think there's a massive shift in identity that Mm -hmm. probably isn't actually talked about enough and then as I said it's like then you're just permanently covered in like porridge and like snacks and you know you, you leave the house and you need to have like a suitcase of snacks and water and milk and bibs and you know, we went out for Sunday lunch yesterday to a local Italian that we love, and had the best time. But you know, she has literally like got spaghetti in her hair mm-hmm. and up her nose. <laughs> and, like, it's all the fun of it, and for me, it's really important that she like gets her hands in the food and like is so sensory sensory with that. And I think it's you know that I love that, and I think I I really encourage that and. I think it's so important, but it's like, then obviously you are then covered as well Mm -hmm. in pasta. And, um, and so you're like, well, there's no point wearing any of these clothes ever again. And so it's just all those little things I think where, you know, and I admire mothers that, that have it really, really, really together. I think they're incredible. Um, and, you know, when you see mothers wearing, like, a beautiful silk dress with their little ones, and more, it's kind of absolutely blown away by it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And what's it like actually parenting with your partner? Like, what kind of a dad is he? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, he, he is absolutely incredible. And
1: it's been one of the most amazing experiences, yeah, of, of my life to, to watch him kind of become who he is and and that's yes been so 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 special um Skye just adores him Mm -hmm. and she she, every time she hears his voice she just lights up and he's incredible with her and we've been talking a lot about it recently and we just feel so incredibly grateful because I don't think when we got pregnant we realized what An undertaking it is. I almost feel like you can't until you do it. Mm -hmm. And that sense of partnership just has been the biggest blessing. And I just I could never even have contemplated doing it without him. I like not in a million years. I mean, we but we've worked together as well for the last five years. And so we're kind of, I guess, have a strong sense of partnership in our lives through that. And we know kind of winds each other up and and how the best way to get to solutions are with each other and I think that probably was actually in a strange way quite a useful um preparation in a way to to kind of take on parenting together because it is a huge 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 shift in your relationship Mm -hmm. it's undoubtedly it's it's very different yeah you know pre-kids and post-kids and it's definitely brought us a lot closer together and this kind of little unit that we have is like the most special thing in our lives by a mile but it's um yeah again it it undoubtedly changes your relationship and and how you are with each other and I think that sense of teamwork is just so 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 key
0: yeah I get that and how has actually being a mother changed the way you society? And the way you find society deals with mothers and fathers in general.
1: I've been so, like, positively. I felt so positive about it. And and maybe we've just been really lucky and we live in, in London and we live in a neighbourhood where there's loads of kids around. But I've actually found people just so welcoming and, like, kind and compassionate. And I remember, I mean, I was saying a minute ago, the first time we'd, like, took Sky out, kind of far from home when she was just a couple of weeks old to meet friends and and she was crying and everything. And I I like just went off for a second with her and just burst into tears. And this lady came over and was like, are you okay? She's tiny. Like we've all been there. Can I help you? Do you have everything you need? And, and I, I was really struck by that, but I've definitely found people so quick to help so kind of friendly. Like I find, you know, going to like local coffee shops and stuff, people are so nice with Sky and so friendly and so welcoming and I've, yeah, been so appreciative of that. I think that I have been a bit surprised by the amount of judgment that exists between mothers mm-hmm. and the, and I've, I've found that like, it's been a funny mix where I think I've never seen more support and compassion and kindness and support and advice shared between people mm-hmm. than I have going into motherhood which has created a sense of kind of sisterhood and connection to women that feels really universal and really, really special. And yeah, I've I've been blown away by it in the most positive way, but I have also found on the flip side, I've never felt more kind of judged by people. And and I guess I felt that most, like I found breastfeeding really, really hard. We just never, it never really clicked for us. And, And it's just the opposite of what I thought we'd be I thought we'd be feeding for years and years and years and that it would be like a massive part of our lives she had a tongue tie and then she just never got into it and she just never like had an emotional connection with it she never fell asleep on the boob once
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um which seems really unusual it just she just never really was bothered I mean she's never really been bothered by her bottle either. she takes like what she needs and that's it And she's kind of the same with food, like she's just so busy. She wants to be exploring and looking at everything and looking at people and talking to people more than she wants to be eating. But it's just not what I expected. And after about five months, we switched to a bottle. And I just, I've never received so much criticism and so much judgment. Mm. And, you know, I've never, I was so critical and judgmental of myself. And I found it really difficult to admit that it, it wasn't something that we were going to be able to keep doing. She didn't want it. It wasn't working. It was a nightmare and it was making me so unhappy. And I realized that that was making me definitely not the best mom I could be because ultimately being a mom is about such so much more than simply milk. And um, yeah, and then that was just an interesting experience. So it's been a kind of a real combination of I've never felt, yeah, more connected and more supported and really, truly about, like, people have been amazing. But then on the opposite side, I've definitely, definitely felt a lot of judgment um, as well.
0: Interesting. And for yourself, I guess, that's what you said before as well. It's really a lesson in flexibility and just you can't be too uh, dogmatic about anything. You just have to see how it goes and just play with that I guess and letting go of expectations in that I think is so important I get that I was also wondering because you're in nutrition of course healthy food and you have a child of your own have you been thinking about how to educate and introduce our children to good nutrition plant foods and so on more possibly already when they're in school you know because I feel they're kind of disconnected in a way now if we look at the Western world. then
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that completely. And it's definitely something that I'm learning about every single day, just like through trial and error with, with feeding her and, and really enjoying that part of it. And I think there, there is a lot, there's a lot to learn there. And I think there's a lot to share and, but it's um, yeah. I mean, I'm lucky she's super open-minded and, and likes to try things, but she didn't to start with like she, the first I mean, I first started giving her food at six months, and she was so disinterested. She didn't really want to eat anything till she was about like ten months, mm-hmm. and now she eats like a champ. But again, it was that ego of expectations. When you know other people from like my baby class were saying, "Oh yeah, my baby eats like three bowls of porridge in the morning," and I was like, "God, she eats like three spoons, yeah, and that's it." Because she just wasn't. Well, she's a very independent girl, and she likes to do everything herself, and so we could only do baby led weaning as a result and she um she would get frustrated and bored by the fact that she wasn't very good at it and it wasn't until her like coordination and everything and she'd kind of practice and practice and practice and then when she was about 10 months she was you know she could like really feed herself and and she realized that she loved food and she became a great eater um and again yeah that was just a great lesson in letting go of expectations um but it has been interesting to see, and I've been really keen to kind of introduce her to loads of different flavors and textures and, and different ingredients every day. But, you know, it's a lot and it's, it's hard work. And, you know, sometimes you spend ages making them something amazing and healthy and beautiful and delicious. And then they eat like one bite.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely a fascinating topic. I mean, I'm a big fan of trying to eat together and trying to make meals that we can all share, which I think also makes it easier for a mum to kind of let go of like, oh, but I spent ages making you this and you don't want to, and finding that
0: frustrating, which is
1: completely
0: fair enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But do you think like healthy nutrition, for example, should also be part of the school curriculum? Like if you had the right information about nutrition growing up, do you think you wouldn't have ended up where you did in such poor health? I mean, I don't think so, because I don't
1: think that's necessarily specifically what what the diagnosis was linked to. But yeah, I mean, I think, again, it comes really back to what we were talking about right at the beginning, which is about connection to what we eat. And I think it's even things just like like more cooking classes. You know, that's that's not something that forms like part really a part of the curriculum over here. And, you know, how are you going to appreciate your food and what things taste like if you don't cook and you don't cook with the raw ingredients? And you don't know that much about them. And so I think it's just, again, about taking it back and trying to get our kids connected with what they eat and understanding what they eat and trying to appreciate it. And I think that's something that we could do so much more of as a society and I think would make a humongous difference.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that they can really see also where the food comes from, I feel. You know, probably make a big change in their minds as well if, if they can uh if they know where it comes from what they put on their plate to be more aware of it really completely I feel like you were one of the first to really make plant-based more accessible to a larger audience in the UK in Europe as well um and I was wondering because it was fairly new when you started were you met with some skepticism in the beginning as well and how did you handle that oh my gosh yeah people thought it was so weird (laughs) Mm -hmm. um friends and
1: family as well as like the wider the wider world um I guess I then focused really on not talking about labels you know it wasn't and and that's probably maybe where like not having the word vegan kind of front and center came from was that I noticed that that was a bit intimidating for people quite often and so instead of saying you know this vegan meal, this, that, blah, blah, blah. Do you know it's good for the planet because of this or good for your health because of that? I'd just say, like, oh, I'm cooking. Do you want to come over for dinner just to get friends and family to try it? And I'd say, you know, oh, I've been I sorted onion and garlic with celery and then I added cumin seeds and mustard seeds. And then I simmered that down with coconut milk, had some lime, some fresh chili, of maple, added in very sweet potatoes, chickpeas, simmered that, then some wilted spinach. I've got some miso coconut rice. And suddenly it's like, oh, that sounds delicious. And the focus is on flavor and ingredient and it's appealing. And it's not about whether it's vegan or not vegan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that I found made a massive, massive difference.
0: How do you actually deal with critics in general? For example, people who say that what you do is pseudoscience, for instance. Um, Yeah, how do you deal with that? Is that something that also kind of keeps you up at night? Or are you able to brush that off quite easily?
1: Yeah, I mean, not at all. I mean, I think it's really hard to say a plant-based diet is pseudoscience. Like, Mm -hmm. The science is so there to explain why much more you know, of this sort of food is so important, both for our own health and for the planet. And so it doesn't bother me at all. Ultimately, like you're never going to make everyone happy. Mm -hmm. And it's just as simple as that. And I think the quicker you accept that and appreciate that, the quicker you can live a happier life.
0: So lastly, what I want to ask you, there's a certain status quo when it comes to motherhood and parenthood, What would you like to change about this for parents and their children in the future, say 25 years from now, if you'd really look into the future?
1: Yeah, I wish the language would change. Hmm. I think there's so much of, there's so much negativity to it. Don't get me wrong, it's hard. Being a parent is hard and the first year is hard. Like it's not, but being hard can still be amazing. Yeah. And I think there's such a, like people are like, oh, God, your life's going to change or everything's going to be different or you're never going to sleep again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's just, you're met with so much negativity about pregnancy, about birth, about having kids and people just make, oh my God, you're going to have two under 14 months. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of think, well, yeah, it's been hard. Don't get me wrong. It's been hard and it's been a learning curve, but it's been the most enriching, positive, incredible bonding experience I've also ever had in my life. And so it's like, I just wish the language would change because I think there's a, so much negativity around, oh, this is going to be a nightmare. That's going to be a nightmare. Or oh, just wait until this. And it's just like, oh, you know, let's, if we come at it from a more positive perspective, we'll probably all enjoy it more.
0: Yeah. That makes total sense. I totally get that. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. It was really lovely talking to you.
1: It's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Have a lovely,
0: lovely day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to know more about Anna's idea of the new motherhood, head on over to the pilot episode where she explains more about this. Please hit subscribe if you'd like to be notified when a new episode is up. Also, we'd be very happy to get your feedback and possibly suggestions for new topics or interviewees hope this episode informed, inspired, opened up your mind in some way. Until next time!